Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat Podcast. This is Tristan Stevenson. Today I am joined by Eric Castro. Eric is the proprietor of Polite Provisions in San Diego and Boilermaker in New York. He's also the co-founder of Simple Serve, a drinks marketing agency, as well as the host of Bartender at Large, which is one of the drinks industry's leading podcasts. On this episode, we discuss how the current climate is impacting the bar industry, how community can come together to alleviate some of these issues we're facing, how the industry has evolved in the past 10 years, the relevance of podcasting to our industry, as well as the story behind the Bartender at Large podcast. Thanks so much to Eric for coming on, and we both hope you enjoy the chat. Okay, I'm here with Eric Castro. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Tristan, thank you for having me. How have you been doing? You good? Yeah, hanging in there, hanging in there. You know, it's a, it, it's a little chaotic times, you know, in, throughout the world, maybe more so here in the U.S., but, you know, we're, we're, we're getting by, you know, it, it's a little tough, but, you know, as long as you live to fight another day, you're winning. So I, I was thinking, I don't think we've ever actually met properly before, um, although no doubt been in the same room, yeah. probably same bar on numerous occasions, tells the cocktail, that kind of thing. Um, and also because like we're, everyone's quite connected now, sometimes I think you can easily fool yourself into thinking, oh yeah, I know that guy, we've met, we've hung out, we've had drinks, and yeah. actually it, we're just kind of exposed to one another across you know, the digital platforms upon which we appear and, and comment and communicate. Yeah, I think people uh, forget how small our industry really is. Yeah, it is. It is now because everyone's just in each other's kind of social media feed all the time. And, you know, I mean, when I went, I don't know how far back you go with your career, but, you know, I've been doing this like 15, 20 years, 20 years nearly uh, working in bars. At that time, for me, like someone who was in an adjacent city would have felt like they were a million miles away and really not someone that I could potentially, you know, communicate with and 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 you know share ideas and that kind of thing whereas now we talk to one another on on an hourly basis from all different parts of the world sort of sharing these different thoughts and everything and it's amazing how small a community it's become yes it is it it, it is pretty wild like i actually even had a friend of mine who's not in the cocktail industry and he sent me a message and he's like oh hey there's this restaurant in dallas and i love their their cocktail they have a household fashion do you know what would happen to be in it? And then I just DM'd a friend of mine in, in Dallas who bartends. And then just almost instantly, I was like, oh, hey, here's the recipe. This is their house version. To be honest, this is how I would probably tweak it. But it looks like th- this should be delicious either way. And he was just like, what? how did you get this recipe so quickly? And I told him, I'm like, the bar industry is almost like that six degrees of Kevin Bacon, where I don't <laughs> know anybody that works at that bar or that restaurant, but odds are I knew somebody in Dallas. And honestly, the first person I reached out to in Dallas knew somebody there. You know, our, our <laughs> circle, our, our community is pretty tight-knit. I think people, it, it's easy to forget that, you know, considering how many bars around the world, bars and restaurants actually now, that are serving amazing cocktails, that we're still pretty tight-knit. We all, if we don't know someone, we know someone that knows someone there. Mm. And how does it work in the States with that? Because obviously you got a lot of big cities, a lot of states, and a lot mm-hmm. of people. Do you, do, do you sort of have factions where it's like a West Coast community, an East Coast community, or, or is it really just quite homogenous amongst everyone in the U.S.? I would say in the early days, there was definitely a bit of like East Coast, West Coast style. It wasn't versus, but there were the, the styles were a little more defined and, and the, mm. the, the line in the sand was a little more uh, marked. But now there's so many – there's places – 
in New York and Chicago and, and LA. Like I can't, I can't even tell where they were just by looking at their cocktail menu. You could look at their cocktail menu and have no idea where they're based out of. Where ten years ago that wasn't the case. Also, I guess because everyone moves around, right? And so these sort of yeah. ideas get exported and imported into different places, and like p- people as well. So you know, if you've got say a group of people in in LA who all know each other really well, and then ten years later they've moved around the country into different places, it's it's you know it's like entropy, isn't it? You know, everything's this knowledge and information is going to disseminate around mm-hmm. the place and sort of bring that community, make that community community bigger and bring it all together. That is definitely, I think, a, a large factor at play. Though I think another bit of it is that, you know, 10, 12 years ago, if you were making cocktails in a certain city, odds are you came out of one camp, one or, or two different camps, because there weren't a lot of bars in, in, in each city, right? If you were making craft cocktails in New York City in 2008, odds are you either came out of the Milk and Honey camp or the Audrey Saunders camp. Mm. And there may, you know, I mean, even I would even say like a place like PDT would, would be spawned out of the uh, Audrey, Audrey camp, you know, since Jim used to work at Pegu Club and everything kind of came out of one of those camps. And then nowadays, you know, what, in 2020, the, there's a million people that could have trained you and you could have came out of a million different schools and a million different philosophies. So now it's a little harder to pigeonhole people and to guess where they came from based off of their cocktail DNA. Mm, yeah we had similar kind of stuff going on around the same time like match bar group in mm-hmm. in the uk was a big kind of training ground and launched the careers of dozens and dozens of people who've now gone on to do amazing things and there's certain bars like bramble in edinburgh as well that's had just tons of great great bartenders who've had, had a massive impact go through um so i mean speaking about this sort of community thing ha- You've got this incredible podcast, a bartender at large. What kind of inspired the creation of that? And like, how does that sort of play into the bar community? Because I know you get all sorts of different guests from from around the country and international as well. I would say what really kicked the podcast off for us was us trying to create a forum for bartenders kind of just vent and, and chat and kind of, you know, talk about our lives behind the stick. Honestly, we used to joke about it, say that it was kind of um, the view except for bartenders, you know, that's a TV show here in the States where it it could be a little chatty. And we wanted to provide that because there were already several podcasts out, but most of them tended to be a little more academic or a little more instructional or educational. Not that ours isn't, though it can be, that's not necessarily the goal. Um, And it sometimes becomes that way, but it's rather incidental when it becomes educational, at least for the most part, but rather it just became a way for us to chat. And honestly, some of the early episodes were pretty bad. (laughs) <laughs> they were just us, you know, talking about, oh, how'd you get started bartending? You know, how'd you, how'd you get into this field? And we asked a lot of the same questions. And then honestly, I would say probably about a six months in, a year in is when it really started to get good. And that's when I remember we first had a discussion. I had a couple bartenders on and we were in Portland, Portland, Oregon. And I chatted with them. I'm like, oh, so what do you want to talk about today? And both of them were just like, you know what, Eric? we're overworked right now. We're stressed out. We're exhausted. Like I'm kind of burnt out and I don't feel like, like talking about, you know, my favorite sour, sour recipe or my favorite old fashioned riff. And I said, Hey, let's talk about burnout. I'm exhausted too. Let's talk about it. That's something that, that we don't necessarily chat about. And especially here in the States where, um, uh, being a workaholic is so encouraged and, and, and commonplace that, 
we actually sat down and started talking about burnout and how all of us were kind of losing a little bit of passion for it and how do we reignite that passion. And that one was one of the first episodes where we started to get a lot of fan mail. You know, lots of people were emailing us and shooting us DMs on Instagram like, oh my God, thank you so much for talking about this. I've been feeling about feeling like this, um, having these feelings, but I haven't been able to voice them because I was uncomfortable with people being upset with me or judging me. And that's when we realized that the potential of the podcast had was a lot bigger than talking about, oh, what's your favorite bourbon? You know, what, what's your favorite, you know, daiquiri riff? That's when we realized to a certain extent that we almost had an obligation and a responsibility to our community to make sure that we're addressing topics and issues that often get swept under the rug. Mm. I think this is one of the great things about the podcast's sort of medium is that it, because it, it tends to be longer form conversation, it gives that opportunity to sort of get into those those conversations and actually understand the people behind this profession a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it is to a certain extent that there's a responsibility that we have. And that's something that I don't take lightly. I actually graduated, I, I studied journalism in college. And All right. I never really used my degree until this. And I didn't even realize it until about a year in that I was like, wait, this is kind of journalism to a certain extent. Because, you know, I'm, uh, we're, it's investigative in some aspects where we talk about issues that, that need to be addressed. And, you know, the, the formula of how the show's laid out is, can be a little widespread. It can, it can vary. Where, you know, one episode we're talking about bourbon, right? We're talking about how this bourbon's made, how it's aged. And the next episode's about the LGBTQ plus community and how they've made advances in the bar industry with going into history of, of the Stonewall riots and then the next episode we're talking about i don't know the the cocktail scene in miami so every week that people tune in there's something completely different and you know i'm sure that there are some people who tune in that they might look every monday and be like mm, eh, this episode's not for me and they skip past it but then the next one they're like oh this is great and then send the link to friends because it's something they feel really passionate about so i don't think it's important that people feel they have to be able to to listen religiously, but rather feel that they're getting value when they do decide to tune in. Mm. And do you do you kind of get an idea for a topic of a podcast in your head and then look for guests that kind of meet that requirement? Or do you go kind of guest first approach where you're like, you know, think about personalities that might bring some interesting ideas to the table and then, you know, the kind of episode gets themed around that? I would say maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Like, for instance, you know, we had Julio Bermejo on a while back. And, you know, when you're talking to someone like Julio, the man's a legend. You talk about we, vodka, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We did <laughs> chat about it for a second and how he doesn't yeah. like it. Uh, but obviously you have someone like Julio Bermejo on, you know, who's, you know, the, the creator of Tommy's Margarita. It, the, the man's a legend. So obviously we talked about tequila at great length. And, you know, we didn't really stray from tequila. I was thinking we might cover mezcal or bacanora or anything. Nope, it was just tequila, which was great. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, other times, you know, we had someone like uh, Shannon Mustafer on. And she wrote her book um, on Tiki. So then we talked mm. about, obviously, Tiki. But then other times, there's some folks that I'll reach out to and be like, hey, well, what do you want to talk about? You know, they'll talk about, oh, I want to talk about inclusivity in the world of whiskey. Okay, awesome. Let's talk about that. Or, you know, sometimes I'll even bring somebody who's an expert on the field. And then they'll email me and say, I don't want to talk about that. I'm so tired of talking about that. I'd rather talk about this other issue. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Do you ever bring in people that aren't in the bar industry, sort of people that are sort of vaguely connected in one way or another, but not actually sort of spirits, cocktail professionals? Definitely. And I feel like those are some of my favorite episodes 
there was an episode I had with um, Bob Holmes, who's the author of Flavor, The Science of Our Most Neglected Sense. Oh, yeah. And that episode was incredible. That was one of my favorite to record. The man is an evolutionary biologist and expert on flavor and the sensation of taste. So we got really nerdy and we really talked about a lot of interesting topics. And, and you know, most, I think, you know, cocktail nerds don't necessarily think about the science behind what we're doing. But it was great to sit down with, you know, a scientist and talk about flavor and how we perceive it. And he also dispelled of a lot of myths that exist in our world that we kind of take as conventional wisdom. So it was great to be able to sit down with him and, and chat about flavor at length. I mean, really something that is such a large factor and such a large mm -hmm. part of our jobs that we never really take the time to, to, to sit down and consider from a scientific perspective. I think these kind of people are always fascinating for us because, mm -hmm. you know, you first of all, like a lot of inspiration for cocktails doesn't necessarily come from other cocktails. It's like from chefs or it's from baristas or it's from music or art or whatever. Yeah. And, and not only that, but like, you know, you look at sort of the like seminar lineup at somewhere like Tales of the Cocktail and, and the ones that are sort of a lot of people really want to attend is where it's kind of treading on, you know, other um thought leaders and industries and creatives and sort of pushing i guess the boundary of what we would classify as like bar culture and cocktail culture yeah i think it is important to make sure that you're reaching outside of your own um, area of expertise for inspiration if i only looked to other bartenders for inspiration for drinks i think my drinks would suffer but rather, I like to look into other fields and see what other people are doing and apply it to my drinks. And I don't think I'm alone. I, I imagine you do the same and plenty of other bartenders are, do the same thing because it keeps your drinks from being stagnant and it keeps your it keeps your creativity fresh. What's the current situation in, in California um, with with the current well, with the current situation? We're lucky here in California because California, we have very, very good weather. You know, we have Mediterranean climate in most of Southern California. So it's either high desert or coastal, it seems like, for the most part. So our falls and our winters are pretty mild. So that means outdoor seating, uh, outdoor dining, so outdoor drinks are very, very doable through most of the year. Uh, here where I'm at in San Diego, I think we only get about 28 days of rain each year. So if you have a patio and it's covered, for the most part, you're pretty fine. Uh, I, I worry the most about... My friends who work in bars or own bars in places where it gets really cold and the outdoor seating is not going to be an option. Yeah. And what about what are the actual regulations? So if I've got an indoor bar, what do I need? What, what, what requirements do I need to meet in order to stay open at the moment? Right now, it's at 25% capacity. You have to be at 25% capacity for indoor. If you have a patio that's outdoors, which are, have been deemed safer, you could you could seat your patio. Hmm. Um, more or less, I think 100%. It is a little it is a little tricky because there isn't a lot of guidance necessarily here in um, here in the states or as much as there has been in, in other countries. But most people are essentially are, are being pretty responsible about that, at least in California that I've seen about keeping things at twenty five percent. But twenty five percent doesn't sound like enough to sustain a business. So what does that actually mean for these bar operators and the bartenders whose jobs, I guess, are potentially at risk if the bar's not trading properly? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if, if I made it seem rosy. Um, what that really <laughs> means, what that really means is that right now, nobody that I know of is really worried about making a profit. They're just worried about having liquidity and having cash to pay bills and living to fight another day. Because right now, 
breaking even is winning. If, if you're breaking even at your bar, you're the envy of the industry. Everybody right now is just trying to survive through next summer, knowing that, that, that the storm's eventually going to break. But in the meantime, it's just break even. Don't worry about making a profit. 2020 is a wash. Don't even think about looking back on 2020 and, and trying to be profitable. Uh, I do know of, of a few places that might have been profitable, but if they had a huge patio or mostly specialized in outdoor drinking, but that's not even the goal right now. The goal is just to survive, to make it through this and come out the other side. And where are the like the customers? Where are they at? uh in like san diego with what's their what's their heads like in terms of going out does people feel safe or do you know is there a, a sort of uh, a worry or reluctance to head out are people kind of battening down the doors and going kind of all doomsday or is it you know a pretty kind of positive mood i think it's a pretty positive mood california in general san diego especially has, in, has been pretty good about wearing masks and compliance and social distancing and so on and so forth so I think most people here have been really good good sports about going out and just being thankful to be in a bar. They're, they're, I think people just got cabin fever and they were going crazy indoors and right now they're just happy to get outside. They're happy to, to you know sip their French 75 on the patio and, and enjoy a little bit of food with their drinks rather than, you know, I, I haven't seen too many people being really, really ugly about it. I know incidents do happen, of course, though I do think for the most part, most of the locals feel really good about about being able to be outside and have no problem putting their mask on when they go to the bathroom and you know share the restroom and things of that nature. Mm. Problem we've got in the UK is there's this a 10 p.m. curfew now, um, which sort of on the face of it, you think, well, that doesn't matter. People will still go out. They'll just go out earlier. But it seems to have kind of given a sense of unease to consumers and um Although we got to reopen all the bars, um, it's really started to drop off again. And now we're finding that some bars in certain parts of the country are being forced to close again as we sort of move in towards the winter. So it's pretty dire, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been chatting with a lot of people, not on the podcast, but a lot of friends in the industry over the telephone. And the industry is dire. I have a lot of friends who are telling me over the phone, like, Eric, I don't think we're going to make it to the spring or I don't think we're going to make another four months. And it's, it's really heartbreaking to see that, especially for places that, that, you know, have very limited seating to begin with. I mean, for instance, if you run a little bar and it only holds 40 people, you know, and you're, you run at 25%, like 10 people isn't enough to pay the bills. It's just not. Um, so it is, it is a very, very dire situation we're looking at. And I'm not quite sure that, that those in power here understand that. And if they do, I don't think they care. I did see an article in the Wall Street Journal recently um, that said in the U.S. chain restaurants are ha are having a, a having a moment right now. They're extremely profitable and they're doing very well. And it, it looks like as long as the big boys are doing okay, I don't I don't think there's a lot of people a lot of uh, people in D.C. who are losing sleep over over the mom and pop businesses that go out of business, which is a damn shame. Yeah, no, there's a similar mood here. Um, that's the feeling that everyone is getting as well. Independents are going to suffer the hardest. And, of course, independents where a lot of the talent is and they're the ones that are going to, you know, they're the job losses that will take place. And, yeah, hospitality is the third biggest employer in the UK. And um, a, the, a lot of the mood right now is that it just feels like it's being totally neglected and ignored. Um, 
And um, it's, yeah, I mean, we had a situation the other day in Edinburgh where, because um, the bar, it's slightly different in Scotland. Um, the it's, it's got its own government, basically. And the bars there have already been forced to close. And so a bunch of bartenders, a bunch of bar operators in Edinburgh all went and dumped a load of uh, ice, a massive great pile of ice, ice outside the Scottish Parliament. Um, to kind of show, you know, that the industry's been put on ice. Basically, everything's been put on hold, um, and um, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to. I think over the course of the next few years, it's going to completely reset and wipe out a lot of what has a lot of the good work that's taken place over the last twenty years in creating incredible, you know, global cocktail culture in, in these cities that that just didn't exist before and if it, it you know what did exist was relatively low standard you know we've we've i think we've sort of got used to this idea that you go to a big city now and you get incredible um high quality independent bars and we're gonna soon come to realize that we took them for granted because so many of, of our best loved bars are going to end up closing yeah and, and then in a way that's going to affect tourism that's going to affect people going out like when i travel when i go to london or when i go to new york you know I, i'm not i'm not going to eat at the chain restaurants that's why i'm i'm not going there for those reasons i'm going there to eat at at the hot new restaurants that that are that are pushing the envelope and doing cool things i'm going to the cocktail bars i'm going for the culinary experience i'm not going to eat at restaurants that i have here in san diego that's not, I'm not going to London to eat at McDonald's, right? I have one like, you know, a few blocks away from me. You mean you don't come to Starbucks in London? Oh, man. You're... Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm going to, to, for culinary tourism, I'm going to eat and drink and, and, and experience food that I can't get here. So I, I honestly think that, that a lot of those, you know, politicians in power are missing the mark. Well, this is, I think that, you know, this sort of spread of cocktail culture that's happened over the last 20 years or so it's allowed each city to put its own sort of print on what that means and whether that's through like a you know the general um sensibilities toward bartending whether it's you know interior design and music whether it's the style of cocktails they serve um you know just the mood and the feel of the place you although there's similarities you know you get kind of speaky easy bars in virtually every city in the world now there's also a certain identity and a certain like i say sensibility that each nation and each city within that nation brings to it and we're going to start to lose that when these independents close and it's such a shame and it's like you say it's a part of the culture um of these cities and along with many other cultural elements, the arts and theaters and everything, we're just going to lose so much of it. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like that's a shame across the board because everybody loses out the employees, uh, the suppliers, the, the farmers and the ranchers that supply their product, the distributors, you know, everybody was thinking like, Oh, the shutdowns are, it's going to be three weeks and everything's going to go back to normal. We'll be fine. I didn't believe that. I didn't buy that. But I was thinking in my mind, okay, well, we'll just continue with the content that we've already recorded because we generally record on like, you know, a two to four or five week lead time, right? That's how we have our, our calendar mapped out, sometimes even more. So we kind of, you know, cranked out some of our remaining episodes. And finally, what we still we still had a few uh, episodes in, the, in their stockpile ready to go out. And finally, we were just like, you know what? Like, we need to address the elephant in the room. We need to start talking about what's going on. So that's when we really made an effort to actually start and this is all probably only about three weeks in when we actually started to shift over 
our focus to actually talking about what was going on in the, in the state of the world and addressing how that affects the life of the bartender and, and the places that we work. Eventually, it became a thing where we we would talk about it, but it really wasn't the focus of the episode because in a way, it's it's unavoidable. You You can't avoid it. It's such a large global event that it's impossible to ignore. And you, you get to the point where where you're doing, doing a disservice to a certain extent to, to your fan base and to your listeners and to your audience if you're not addressing something that, that, that affects everybody. Are you uh, like you ever conscious about it sort of dominating conversation and taking up too much room? Or do you no. kind of like spin it in different ways and focus on a different aspect of it every time or no because i don't think it's necessarily the the focus anymore uh Mm. i i think it's peripheral but it exists so you know i mean for instance i mean we did an episode recently with with lynn house and we were talking about her life as a brand ambassador we talked about you know some of the new products that that she helped re-engineer and put to market and it, it, it would have been impossible to go around and talk about what it's like to be a brand ambassador today and it we did I wouldn't say spend a lot of time on it, but it was something that we addressed because it's just, it, it exists and it's there and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere for a while. So I, I think what I'm leaning towards to and what we're leaning towards to in regards to the episodes is, you know, they're obviously not going to be as evergreen of content as, as the stuff that was in the past, because, you know, ho- yeah. hopefully, you know, when this is all behind us, it'll be something that that's, that's in our past to a large extent. You know, we'll achieve some 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 sense of normalcy, but I, we're we're exchanging that to be more pertinent today. Perhaps not permanently, but I think for a lot of us, for a long time, it's going to really change our behaviour when we're around yeah. other people. Even when you know restrictions on distancing, as we have over here, are lifted, people will still keep their distance to some extent. Mm-hmm. I think, especially during like cold and flu season. Yeah, definitely. I think I never realised how how the, the transmission of viruses really worked in a practical sense. You know, you learn about it in science. Oh, somebody coughs or sneezes, yada, yada. But now that we've all seen the videos, we've all seen the YouTube tutorials of the transmission of viruses, we're all a bit of amateur virologists now. It makes me think back on all the times that, you know, I've been in the service industry for over 20 years and how many times I would come come to work with a cold. Not and how we everybody did it, you know, because yeah. I always took pride in like, oh, I'm never taking any sick days. I don't call in sick, blah blah. And now I look back on it, I'm thinking like, how many times did coworkers with that same mentality get me sick, and then mm. I got someone else sick, and it's just it's a chain of dominoes. So, do you feel like a burden of sort of um, like public service, like announcement broadcaster, given you've got like a platform and a bunch of like people who listen? Um, do you feel a responsibility in that sense with the podcast? Yeah, definitely, definitely. There is a responsibility that comes with the podcast, without a doubt. Uh, and one thing we always try to do, though, is we never try to be preachy, but rather bring on guests and give them a forum to discuss issues that are important to them. Rather than, you know, we don't like to like necessarily wag our finger at you, but rather be like, this is a, a topic. These are the issues that we're addressing. And then it's up to you to make up your own mind. And I feel like that's that's given us a lot of uh, we've had a, a lot of luck with that because people don't necessarily feel browbeaten, no, no matter how much uh, how important or heavy the topics are, you know. And then again, I, I was saying um, there's some people I think, you know, we have some people who 
I like to think, you know, most of our audience that, that listens to every single episode. But again, I know there's some who, you know, they cherry pick, they, they listen to it. Uh, you know, they're, they're just tuning in for, um, perspectives on business and, and how to approach your business and things of that nature. Then there's other ones who I think tune in for, for the spirits knowledge. And then there's some who tune in for every episode. So there's a little bit of everything. And I think that's kind of nice. I mean, when I think about the podcast that I listen to, I don't, I rarely listen to every single episode, but it's morely like, it's mostly like, you know, um, I listen to Ma- Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history and I'll just kind of scroll through, Ooh, this looks good. And I listen to that, you know, when I'm on a flight back when people used to travel and then, you know, now, and then I'll flip to another episode, but I don't, I don't necessarily listen to them all religiously. I would say like NPR is maybe, uh, the, their news, uh, podcasts are probably the only ones I listen to almost every day. Yeah. I have like two that I listen to most pretty religiously, like not every episode, but, mm-hmm. um, most, most of it. Sam Harris is one of my favorite podcasters. I haven't listened to him. I'll, I'll check him out. So how are you balancing the time between doing that and then your, your other responsibilities? Oh, shoot. I don't really know if I am. Um, but I, I do my best. Generally, what I, what I would say is I, I live very, very religiously to a schedule. I have like a daily schedule that I follow six days a week. And it keeps me it keeps me dialed in, especially with all the shutdowns and quarantines that we were ex- experiencing. Uh, at first, I started to go a little bit crazy because I like to have some bit of structure to my days. But you know, when you're when we're all trapped indoors for you know I don't know with the first five six weeks, particularly, I, I realized that I needed to have a, a schedule to my day to keep me feeling as though I was productive or getting something something done. Not necessarily productive in regards to you know getting work done, but rather just having a sense of structure to my day. Yeah, not getting caught in like a rut, right? Because that can happen easily, especially during these like lockdown periods where you just, you, like you say, because you're not interacting with people so much and you're not going to places, that sort of structure of a day falls by the wayside. So you've got to actually implement and impose a structure on yourself. Otherwise, it does, it just turns into a bit of a haze, doesn't it? Yeah. So I have been, I did keep a bit, a, a really tight structure on my days. And I feel as though it kept me productive and it kept me in a good headspace. Otherwise, I would have started to go crazy. So I do have a structure to the show and how it fits in with, with my work with my work week, which is especially pertinent now because uh, with the bars reopened, it is it it's really important that I keep my days balanced and keep my days structured. So do you, were you not so structured before all of this um, started happening? It's not it's something that's a new thing. Mm, I, I've been on a I've been on a. Uh, like a daily schedule, more or less, a daily by a series of daily rituals, more or less, probably for the last three or four years. But it, I would say it's uh, I'm probably more religious about it, more disciplined about it, in regards to how with the quarantines in place and, and things of that nature. Because then it really became obvious to me whether I was able to to get rid of and, and, and use all of this like manic energy. Otherwise, I, I get insomnia and I can't sleep. I, I can tell when I when I've been productive and, and feel as though I got the most out of my day by how I sleep. Oh, interesting! You got a barometer there, yeah. Yeah, that that's a you you can't lie you can't lie to your um to 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 your body when it comes to sleep. Like when I get good restful sleep, I feel really good about that because once your sleep starts to suffer, everything starts to suffer. Once once you're not sleeping well, it means your body's not recovering well. 
And once your body's not recovering well, you're more prone to, um, you know, getting sick and you're, you're prone to aches and pains. And then your mind as well, your mind isn't as restful. So you get a little more, uh, you get more moody, you get, you're more argumentative because your mind isn't as equipped to deal with stress when you're not getting restful sleep. I mean, everybody knows we've all been in one of those situations where you're doing a bar opening and you're, you know, you're sleeping four or five hours a night, maybe even less sometimes. And you're just trying to get a place open work at the bar all day long. Those are the types of, of work environments where you can all of a sudden snap at somebody or you can get upset or someone cuts you off. And in, in, uh, when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you like freak out and start cussing and then you realize like, Oh, I'm just, I haven't been sleeping very well and I haven't been taking care of myself. And until I take care of myself, I can't really take care of anyone else. Yeah. It's, it's super important. So, so you're saying that if you, if you're not productive and not focused in the day, then you get, you, you're insomnia in, at night. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a way I can tell if my days have been, um, well utilized. And by the way, I want to stress that doesn't mean that I'm just go, go, go the entire day. I don't want people to think I'm advocating, um, you know, neglecting, neglecting their health and their sanity, Yeah, yeah. but I do have rules in place that, that I try to adhere to that keep me in, in a good place. So pretty much every morning, every morning I stretch and I mean, I stretch, well, mostly cause I have a lot of old bar injuries. I have like, you know, tendonitis in my ankle, tendonitis in my elbows and my wrists. So, I mean, I'll stretch every morning for probably about 45 minutes. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I go for a walk. And I mean, I, I, my wife and I will go for a legitimate, you know, 30, 45 minute walk. You know, probably cover, um, cover two to three miles. I come home, I meditate, I go over my day. And w- when you look at it from that perspective, by this point, I've been awake for two hours. So I, I've been awake for two hours before I check my email, before I, before I get back to anybody, before I look at my texts or any of that stuff. Literally not picked up the phone. No, no. I mean, maybe I'll, I'll use a timer on it to, um, yeah. to like, you know, measure like do my stretches and stuff. But generally yeah, yeah, I yeah. like our iPad for that. And I feel like though it keeps me in a better headspace. And then when I, when I do, once I do start working, I'm ready to go uninterrupted. Nothing's interrupting me. Nothing's, you know, nothing's getting in my way and I'm completely committed to getting some work done. Yeah, sure. So, um, any other learnings from the sort of current period, anything else that perhaps has changed and all that will change in the future for you and your podcast? No, but I mean, I, I guess what I would say is if there's anything that, that I've learned from, from the quarantines and the pandemic and everything that's going on is, is reaffirm just how important the human element is and how important it is to engage with community, engage with each other. Uh, there's something about, you know, a, a, a Zoom chat or a text thread or a Slack thread or, or email will never replace the human element. So I know a lot of us it, like to take pride in being antisocial and, and, you know, they think they're cool because like, oh, I don't need anybody, you know, blah, blah, to shoot me an email. Now I think we're all realizing just how and to what extent we're all social creatures. I am actually realizing that we're leaning more into elevating hospitality and practicing actual actual empathy. Um, it's more important than ever for people to feel engaged and to feel like like they're they're being uh, assisted and helped by somebody who actually cares. You know, this person that you're making a drink for, this might be the only time they go out all month. It's very highly likely that this is the only time they're going out for a cocktail the entire month. So make sure that you wow them and you leave them feeling 
as as though they can't wait to come back. We're all social creatures, but I would say people that work in bars who have found themselves there and continue to do it perhaps sort of enjoy or appreciate that social contact mm -hmm. even more than for most people, even the ones who we've worked with who like behave like they don't like guests and they don't like customers they don't like being yeah. talked to they don't like those questions that kind of thing they're there for a reason and that's because they enjoy that interaction and you know on a on a on a busy night a bartender might interact with 300 400 different guests and have you know extended conversations with some of those so to kind of take that away to slip that rug out from underneath um it can be i you know hugely distressing for i mean i've it's it's i don't, I don't bartend much anymore so it's not something that's sort of in my routine and something that i feel like is a, a huge part of me I, I still you know interact with bartenders a lot and, and i'm in my bars and restaurants and things like that but it's not something that i massively miss but were i if we were to go back five or ten years when i was tending bar most nights yeah to suddenly take that away would be would be devastating i think and um I think we 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 need to recognize that and as a community sort of support each other and 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 yes you know plan for a brighter future right where things will hopefully return to normal yeah at least to, to some extent and, and that couldn't happen soon enough couldn't happen soon enough yeah eric thank you so much for coming on it's been fantastic to talk to you um it's uh yeah it, it's wonderful to have another podcast host on um and someone who's done such a great job of it and so experienced with it um i um hope i haven't been too terrible at the job myself and um you know i'm i'm, I'm gonna keep on listening to your podcast for more kind of tips oh thank you and, I, and i'll listen to yours as well and I, i'll need to have you on the show you need to come on the show sometime yeah i, I will 100 percent, absolutely let's do that um hopefully we'll find something else to talk about hopefully this will be over by then and then we can talk about how great the world is fingers crossed thank you for tuning in to today's episode of bar chat visit diageobaracademy.com for access to more podcast episodes and exclusive content see you next time